funny though is that in my personal life I have like this eight in one shampoo, body wash, pesticide. Like it's you name it. I mean it just and it smells kind of like dirt, because I guess that's the manly thing now, is to smell dirty when you're clean. So that's there. Uh, I'd like to welcome you today. I'd like to thank you for coming out. Uh, the thing with lake effect snow is that you don't know what to expect or when to expect it or how that rolls. And so I commend you on coming out today. Uh, last week, I was bummed to not be here with you. I really was. I was probably hard to live with for a few days or our entire marriage. But <laughs> for those few days, it was uh, kind of difficult because I wanted to be with you. So today, I wanted to take a few moments. We're going to be obviously having our baptisms here. Let me just pull this off here. If you're new here, you're probably like, what is that sarcophagus of a thing on this stage? This is our, our uh, baptism tub, and we're going to be using this in a few minutes. And so before we get on with the message, here's one thing that I just want to let you know. When it comes to baptisms, it's something that's incredibly personal to me as a pastor. It's an incredible family-building thing for the church. And so here's what I ask. When we do these baptisms at the end of service, do you remember how you felt when you got baptized? Do you remember that feeling? I would ask that as we baptize, we're going to be baptizing Craig and Mike today, when they come up out of that water, do not golf clap. <laughs> it's awesome. And it is just a show of testimony and what God's doing. And I'm excited for them. And I'm honored to be here. So when we get to that point, you know what to do. Just go crazy, all right? I wanted to speak today on one of our core values, kind of build on it. A core value of this church, if you've gone through Grow Together, you've heard these, but we need to be reminded from time to time, our faith is ridiculous faith. Ridiculous faith. The line that goes with that is, we believe that the Holy Spirit can do anything, and we speak life. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that there is no situation that God has written off, but we can always speak life. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church where I want my family. A true statement is this, that everyone has faith. Even the person who claims to be an atheist has faith in their intellectual ability. People put faith in their uh, skills, in their connections, in their relationship, in friends, in family, in themselves. People place faith in all types of things, and you see that. The other day I was driving, and there was no one on the freeway in the fast lane. My wife makes fun of me because I don't really speed too much. And so I went to pass someone going even slower than me. And when I get out in the lane, no one's there. But all of a sudden, there was this Kia just right on me, like drafting me like NASCAR. And cutting lanes on everybody. And I look as he goes by, and this guy's on a save a spare. And I'm thinking, that man has key of faith. He has a level of faith that I do not comprehend. I don't know if he made it where he was going, but it was faith. So today I wanted to talk about a passage of Scripture that has been on my heart 
three verses, build on them, talk about them a little bit. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. I invite you to turn there. I invite you to go to your app to get into that if you want to. Uh, don't check Instagram. Just, just find 1 Peter in there if you want to. We will be uh, speaking about verses 1, 2, and 3. You have the Apostle Peter, and he is writing to what we would consider baby churches. One thing that I'm reminded of when it comes to my walk is I need to rewind sometimes. I need to go back to where it started and get a glimpse of things because I can complicate this walk. I can make it things that God never intended it to be. So I need to rewind. So when Peter writes in 1 Peter, the first verse of that first chapter, he's writing to, it says, elect pilgrims. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. He mentions four locations when he does this. Now, here in a couple of days, I'm sure if you have children, they're going to be dressing as pilgrims, going to school. My kids hated that. Secretly, they loved it, I think. But just sending your kids to school as pilgrims, it's a fun thing, right? And we can get in our head this idea of those hats with the buckles and the shoes. But Peter here, when he is writing... He is writing to pilgrims, and a pilgrim is a person who lives in a constant awareness that they are not home, and there is a place called home. The King James Version, when it builds on it, it calls them strangers. Other versions, sojourners. It's this idea, when you look at the original wording, that we are just passing through, but we are here to have personal relationship with the people in this locale. Ridiculous faith tells me I'm just passing through. As someone who is a pastor, far too often I can look at my life and I can see more of the world than I can see heaven. And I'm just being honest in my heart set, in my mindset, in my responses, in the things that I set up, in my tradition, in religion, in things like that. I can begin to look more like the world than I do the kingdom of heaven. God checks me. God checks me. Alan had a song that he would sing, this whole world is not my home. Why am I here as a Christian? Why am I here on the face of this earth walking this walk that sometimes can be difficult? I'm here to point people toward a heavenly home. That's the goal, that through this walk that other people may see this Jesus that we claim to love, and they too will want to have a part in that heavenly kingdom. Pilgrims, even though they are here, know that their heart is set somewhere else. When Peter speaks here. He is speaking to the scattered of the dispersion. Whoa, that sounds so biblical, right? And it is. He's writing to people who are not Jewish. They're referred to as Gentiles. But when he is writing to them, he's referring to something. The dispersion was a time when the Babylonians had conquered God's people. When they had done that, there was a scattering, there was a lack of unity. And so when he brings this up and writes it, even though these people were not directly affected by that, that wording, it's almost traumatic to hear. And so when they hear it, they're hearing a word like an exile, someone who has been sent somewhere, maybe not of their own accord. I say that because some of you may feel like you're in a place where you don't know what's going on. You ever just had that place, you come to this crossroad, and you're like, what is going on? 
I have that often, right? I should tell you, I do. But Peter, when he writes this, it isn't just to these baby churches, it's to all Christians. Whatever you might have called home back then, everything changes when you know Jesus Christ. God intervenes. He calls us out of the world. God sees where we are, and he makes a path for us to become his children. The wording that's there to those who are scattered. When you look at that original wording, it's talking about scattering or throwing seeds, which we talked about a few weeks ago with that parable of the sower. Well, here's the truth, and I need to say it to you. The one who has sown you knew what he was doing. The one who you may feel like this is totally random and what's happening to me, God's hand is in this. It wasn't by accident that you were placed where you were. The goal all along has been for you to grow. We can spend so much time wondering, God, why am I over here and it seems like everyone else is over there? God, why am I in this place that I never would have picked these circumstances and everyone else seems to have it better? That original wording, though, that word through, through. God's plan is to see you through. The place where a seed lands is a dark place. But it is imperative for me to tell you that the place that God has placed you right now is not a grave, but it's a place to begin to grow. It's a place that through him you will press toward those things, those promises that he has said to press toward. It may not always be easy, but this is only the beginning of what he's going to do in your life. We move to verse 2, and in verse 2, I find that ridiculous faith tells me that there is a trinity, and it is at work in every part of my life when I have relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse says, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Do you know what that means? That means he chose you. He chose you. You know how you feel when you're in school and you're doing, we used to do dodgeball and you know people would pick teams and I was always gentle with the kids at MHCA and they would get really rough (laughs) I can't even but you know that feeling when the team captain picks you and you're like me that's how God is God is so intentional in what he does he chooses you that original language says it's a deeply personal choice and he's intentional it wasn't just happenstance like he's looking out he's like I need someone else for the team no he's like I want you I want you to be a part of this he is not done choosing and I need to tell someone that he's not done there's no one that's outside of the reach of God's grace there's no one who's been written off there's no one who was created to be an extra or a filler this is why the Great Commission begins with the word go because there is no place where people are that we can't get to it seems nowadays when I was talking to Bobby Lynch the missionary from Ecuador he was talking about I said, I'd kind of like personally to go on a trip that would be considered by some traumatic. And he's like, well, there's one place that I go where you have to pay an organized crime ring for protection to get in, and you have to take a three-hour boat ride up a dangerous river, and then you walk for two hours among whatever may happen. 
And I'm like, yes, this is the trip I'm speaking of. But as you can see, there is no place that's so inaccessible that the gospel cannot be carried. The go is on us. When Jesus died, he died for everyone. Foreknowledge, there's this word to describe God, omniscience. Do you know what that means? It means he knows everything. And so just from reading that first part of that second verse, I find that God chose me and God knows everything. He chose me and he knows everything. It, there's a prearrangement when you look at that wording. Prearrangement meaning this, that the deck is stacked in your favor. That from the moment that you began to run your race, your name was on the trophy because God sees you as winning this race. That's how he is behind you. You've been chosen by a God who cannot be contained, who can't be described by man, who cannot be measured and cannot be defeated. And he has you in mind. He knows, he knows, he knows. Part of a praise that we need to put in our mouth, there's a song that the worship team sings, I'm going to see your victory. If the battle doesn't belong to me and the battle is not mine to fight, it's God's to fight, then the victory belongs to God. And a cool thing about God is that he doesn't hog the victory, but he allows me to stand beside him in victory and be victorious. That is the God that we serve. He responds to us. The other day I was listening to a preacher, and he said this, he said, if you consider for a moment that an almighty God hears you. you know, we always look at the things like, God, I don't understand why when I pray this way or I don't understand this. Right? We spend so much time in our walk saying what we don't understand. But have you ever just been blown away with the fact that an eternal God hears your voice as his child? Just what a privilege that is in relationship. At verse 2, it goes on to say, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Do you know what sanctification means? It means it's a process of advancing toward holiness. It means as I go through this walk, I begin to look more like God with each step. I'm progressively transformed into what he wants me to be. Obedience means submission to what is heard. No. Here are three categories of things when it comes to God. We can either obey God, we can disobey God, or here's one that we like to choose, partially obey God, which really is just dressed up disobedience, right? And when it comes to those things, when it comes to obedience, I cannot be obedient unless I am obeying someone. Does that make sense? Like I could stand up here all day and be like, I'm a pro bowler. But if I never go to the bowling alley and show people I'm a pro bowler, it doesn't matter. I need to be engaged in the process. This next part, when I was reading it, I sat in my office and it tore me up. It talks about the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Whenever blood was sprinkled in the Bible in the Old Testament, it always meant purification. Within myself, by my own authority, I cannot just be a better man. In myself, I cannot just sit and be like, I want to look more like God, just not obey him. 
God has to be at the center of it. When it comes to the sprinkling of the blood, there were three times that are mentioned that stand out to me. Two are from Exodus, one is from Leviticus. When the blood was sprinkled in the Old Testament, one time is when God set up a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai, saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. The blood was sprinkled then. The second time the blood was sprinkled is when Aaron and his sons were ordained to be the priests. Sprinkled. The third time it's mentioned is when a leper It's when a leper who had been unclean went through a ceremony and they were stamped clean again. So when Peter is saying this, you talk about ridiculous faith. You can't have ridiculous faith unless you have something to build it on. These are core things to the heart change that happens when salvation takes place. This is why we're going there. I need to tell you that when the blood of Jesus is applied... Everything changes. When the blood of Jesus is applied, the first thing that happens, a covenant is made. A covenant with God. A covenant that says, I've got you. I've got you. The second thing that happens is this God purpose comes in and saying, you know what? I'm ordaining you for more. I'm picking you up and I'm giving you marching orders for more because you have been called by my name. The third thing. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. If you had leprosy in the Bible, you had your own place to stay You were shunned. Everything about it was just shame and suffering. But the third thing that happens when the blood is sprinkled is that you, you are clean. You are clean and it is a God stamp that this one is mine. Whatever may have happened every step up to this point, this now they are walking clean steps. That is the God that I serve. When I read these things and when it gets into my heart, I can't help but think with that verse 2, if you're looking at it, do you pick up on something that happens? The Father is mentioned in his mercy. The sanctification is mentioned with the Holy Spirit. And the third thing, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. The Trinity is at work in doing the things that God has ordained to be done. The Trinity is at work in your life. The Father's mercy, the Holy Spirit's power to make me look more like God in this life, and Jesus' precious blood being sprinkled that purifies what's going on. Faith reminds me that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Talks about that in John 17. What that says to me is that from the very beginning, it's been about relationship. From the very beginning, the Almighty God has modeled relationship and called me into relationship. Verse 3, the last verse we're going to talk about, it talks about a heavenly inheritance. The verse starts by saying, blessed, I should say blessed because that's what we say in church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Peter considers God, he cannot help but praise. Do you ever just get that way? 
Have you ever just been praying, and some of you may have prayer sheets, you may have devotional something you're doing. Have you ever just been praying and just put it all down and just gotten lost in praising God? Praising him for the countless things that he has done and all the things that you know he will do. The verse goes on to say, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To quickly break it down, many times when we hear that we're blessed in church, we are, we're like, you know, we've done word studies and we're like, oh, well, blessed means happy. It does in some circumstances. What's wild is the wording here, when you look at it, the original, it means well spoken of, eulogize or eulogy i know where your mind just went another definition says speech that praises someone or something highly you hear the word eulogy and we have come to put that together with funerals right but at its core it's speaking highly of someone what's really hard sometimes being in ministry is when you're around funerals, it seems like all the things we should say in life, we wait until someone's gone to say them. We can do the same thing spiritually. We can tend to think that when we get to heaven, we will just be around the throne praising 24-7, but why don't we do it now? Why don't we start that now? Why don't we speak of God's praises in the now? Why don't we start calling things out in this place now? Too many of our walks can be marked by sadness, by resignation. But what if we spoke life? What if we walked in life? What if we walked in a way that said, I am blessed and I am blessed because I know there's a cost. And so to double back on why would that word eulogy be meant? I think it was on purpose because I think that whenever I consider Jesus Christ, I think that I need to consider the fact that my Savior went to a cross for me. And when you think of that story, Dina, when you think of that story, you can't help but think what came after the cross. The tomb came after the cross, right? But I can't help but think that from the tomb, the next step was the resurrection, I can't help. Give me this picture. I can't help to think that this is what it's about. That whenever my mind is focused on the fact that my Jesus died for me, my Jesus ran out of that grave with holes in his feet and holes in his hands and didn't look back. That is resurrection power. The mercy that's spoken about in that second part of that, mercy, when you look at the meaning of mercy, it's kindness or goodwill shown towards someone. Some definitions may relate it to the word pity. But here's the beautiful part of it. The second part says joined with a desire to relieve them. I don't just have a God who looks down on me and is like, oh, that poor guy. I serve a God who knows me intimately and whose plan is to relieve those things that I go through. A God who I love when you think about the fact that when my heart's broken, who holds it? When the tears fall, who catches them? 
When no one else is around, when you're in the car and you're doing your ugly cry because you broke down and you couldn't hold it together anymore, who's in the passenger seat with you? Carrie Underwood says he's got the wheel. Maybe you're in the passenger seat. It is an active relationship, active, meaning that God's not just dormant, God's not away, but God sees what you're going through, and he's intimately involved with what goes on. Because remember, he chose you. This walk is filled with active kindness from an all-powerful God. Can it get any better than that? Why does God do what he does? I love this next part. The Bible says so that you may be begotten again into a living hope. Say, what? Norm, when was the last time you said begotten, right? We don't just throw those words around. But in layman's terms, he's saying born again. The fact that the mercy of an almighty God exists, it's so that I can be born again into his kingdom. Why would he do that? Why would he do that for me? It means made new. It means given a living hope, not just a pep talk and a hug. It means that he sees me, a hope that with every breath I can draw closer to him, that I'm forgiven, that this walk, that it doesn't end at Brunner's. Straight up, because we can look at it like that. But here's another side, and I'm just going to throw this out there. When you become a Christian, do not, stop at the altar. Do not stop at asking Jesus to come in your heart because it's about relationship. Do not just think I've got this go to heaven card and then when I go to Brunner's, things will happen on the other side. How about we live life in the now with Jesus Christ? How about I go, I love when I think of the prayer meetings, right? Remember Roberta with the prayer meetings? threw down in the prayer meetings. I mean, we, as teens, we would show up to these prayer meetings, and it was intense. And I think about, I want to enter heaven shouting. I want, at the moment that I take my last breath, I want the devil to breathe a sigh of relief, but I want him to hold his ears because he hears my shout. That's how I want this walk to be. Salvation's alive now. It's alive in the daily. I love this. The way that this verse 3 ends, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful in three verses how Peter brings it full circle. He starts with that word through, that you're going to go through, like a seed that's in the darkness, you're going to go through, but it ends on through. Because of that resurrection, I'm going to close this out. I'm going to be going into our baptism here in a moment. You have access to freedom. You. It is tailor-made. It is personalized. The freedom that's required in your life, it'll look different than the freedom that's in my life. There's things that you have begged God. God, shine a light on it. Let me see you in it. He's heard those prayers. Personal God. Personal God. So to you, sitting there, when you feel like you're a stranger, 
know that you're just passing through. When it feels like you've been scattered, know that great things are about to spring forth from that place where you are. That it is not a grave, but it is a planting spot. That if the Savior that we serve ran out of that dark grave, then he empowers you to spring forth from the dark places that you find yourself. That consistent, what may seem like baby steps, will build a tested faith. Let me repeat that. Consistent baby steps build tested faith. You don't have to walk like someone who's been in church for 20 years when you just met Jesus Christ. What you need to do is listen to him and obey his voice, and he's going to point things out, and he's going to say, you know what, as you're growing, I want to grow you this way, and you need to be able to listen. Those consistent steps. As you obey God's voice, your heart and life will begin to look more like him than they do the old world. And when you're doubting his plan, remember, you've been sprinkled. Oh my gosh, remember, you've been sprinkled. And so as a church, when we talk about ridiculous faith, that's what makes up ridiculous faith. In a moment, we're going to be doing our baptisms. Craig, Mike, if you need to do anything, now's the time. Before we go any farther, though, I want to pray with someone. Tara Vincent is going to be heading up outreach. To know her is to love her. If you've worked with her yet, oh my Lord, and if you haven't, get ready. We know as a church that it's awesome to be together as family on a Sunday. But something that I live for is the sweat equity of serving other people. That's what it's about. Those hope totes. I mean, how crazy is that? Like, you think about that with the salon. You think, like, people we don't even know. We're praying for people we don't even know. And they're going to open a bag and they're going to be like, that's blessing. That's blessing. I sat a few weeks ago. We met with Josh and Tara. We were just talking about outreach things. Tara, share your heart. Some things God's telling you. I usually hold it together pretty well, but Dina, she'll cry sometimes. As we're sitting there and she's sharing her heart, I mean, my mouth was probably open. And after the meeting, Dina had said to me, like, was that your dream checklist or what? I say that because our best days are ahead. I say that because the lost, we need to get past this idea that people are just going to drive by our church and it's going to be some spider web they get caught in, right? 
I say that if we're going to reach people, we need to be where people are. We need to be creative in the ways that we are reaching them. When you say God's hands and feet, if God's hands and feet stay within these four walls, then they'll stay warm and dry. But there's more, and it's coming. So Tara, if you'll come forward. Prayer elders, if you will come and get in behind her. It's coming. We're just going to pray an anointing. No, that's, that's silly. That's it. We're going to pray that God amplifies this heart. When it comes to a heart for others, we're going to pray that it just busts forward, that God gives her creativity, that people are drawn to her in this next season, that we see things as a church we've never seen before. So if you'll pray with us right now. Father, we speak your blessing upon Tara. God, I pray that you would give her heart the green light to do those things, Father, that you are speaking into existence even now. Father, I pray for the Vincent family that you would show up in ways, God, that will blow their mind. And as we reach out, Lord, to those that you already know their names, we haven't met them yet, but you know their names, God, that they, just like when Peter's shadow would pass over. Father, that the love and compassion in our shadow, because of who you are, would affect change and let them see who you are. We speak this in the name of Jesus. We lay claim to things in the heavenly in the name of Jesus. And I can't wait to hear the testimonies in the name of Jesus.